someone once told me, you sell yourself first, you sell the company that you're representing second, and you sell the product third. Because if you've sold yourself effectively, if you've taken the time to understand what their needs are and they like you because you're a listener, then you sell your company. If they like the company, by the time you get to the product, um, it pretty much starts to sell itself. Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about mental toughness and overcoming adversity in sales. I'm Brad Seaman. Hey guys, Brad Seaman with Decision Point. I just had a gr- phenomenal conversation with Chris Belly, who's the Vice President of Marketing and Business Development for Studio Science here in Indianapolis. And Studio Science is, is a design and innovation agency that focuses on customer experiences. And he had a lot of really good thoughts on the power of relationships and the differences in selling a service and software and kind of the blending of those two worlds and the things that could be taken both that are that are good from the service space, which is really, I, I think, the power of relationships and selling your yourself and then your business and then your product and then um, how that sort of can overlay and some of the things that could be taken from that service thought and mindset to the software space. So phenomenal conversation. Great. Really enjoyed it. It was, it was awesome. So let's get it started. Um, why don't you just, you know, kind of bring me up to speed in terms of how you got, got to Indianapolis, how you got connected with the studio science guys and just a little bit about your career and how you got here. Yes. Yeah, so I arrived in Indianapolis. Um, well, I've been at studio science now for just on four years. Um, and so arrived in Indianapolis, um, interviewed uh, around with a bunch of companies that um, you know, I wasn't too familiar with. And my resume um, kind of highlighted that they weren't really familiar with companies um, that I was spruiking on my resume. Uh, I thought I had a pretty solid resume in sales and lots of achievement, but um, it was really difficult for me to kind of get my foot in the door anywhere, um, even after 15 years, of experience, 15 years experience in, in sales. Um, but Studio Science, were, you know, I was fortunate enough that uh, Nathan Sinzabar, who was president at the time, um, really took a chance on, on me and I really became the first official salesperson that Studio Science had in, uh, at the time, was 16-year history of, of the organisation. Now, how did you get to, so it sounded like, based on your comments there, that you guys had sort of predetermined that you were going to move to Indianapolis. Yep. So uh, my uh, my wife is from originally from Southern Indiana. Um, we'd been living in Melbourne for the better part of maybe ten or twelve years, and I just thought while the kids were still young, I had the ability to apply for a green card. Um, why not have a look at the United States? And um, in my mind, I had some cities that uh, I wanted to potentially look at: um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, Chicago. Um, Columbus, Ohio, Indianapolis, uh, as far south as Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, so that was just kind of, it was all within a, a certain geographic uh, radius of Indianapolis, but we made the decision um, to, you know, s- s- establish ourselves in, in Indianapolis, re- registered the kids into school and went about searching for a job. So how long have you actually been here in Indianapolis or in Indiana? Uh, in Indiana, uh, we arrived on the 7th of August, I believe, 2016, so just over four years. 
Okay. So you've been here. So I grew up here in Indianapolis. The, the tech scene has dramatically changed over, yep. over a decade. Um, and you, you know, you've kind of been on the tail end or really in the prime of watching all of this technology transformation. Um, what have your thoughts been on um, what's happening here in Indianapolis as it pertains to tech and software as an outsider? Yeah, so I was fortunate that even though I came in with very little knowledge of the the local tech scene, Studio Science has worked with um, the tech leaders of 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 Indiana, of the country for a number of years, and so I was able to come up to speak. All the heroes of of local um, local technology. Uh, have had, you know, Studio Science has played a hand in a lot of those companies. So when I arrived at Studio Science, Studio Science had been, I believe, agency of record for Exact Target for many years, um, going from when Exact Target were 200 employees and maybe 10 million in revenue, all the way up to their acquisition by Salesforce. Um, and, and to this day, Studio Science continues to work with, I think, up to 11 Salesforce clouds across the country. Um, so not only marketing cloud here in, in Indianapolis, but um, commerce cloud in Boston and sales cloud and um, service cloud. Like, so we've got a deep relationship there. So I was, I was brought up to speed very quickly on on the Salesforce connection. In addition to that, Studio Science was responsible for, for you know, founding five of our own tech startups that um, are very um, kind of visible in Indianapolis, one of those being Lessonly. Um, Max Yoda um, was employed at Studio Science. Uh, the other one was Tinderbox, which then became Octave, which was then acquired by uh, Conga. And so, um, and then there's a couple of others. And then the other thing that's got the, the tight connection, Christian Anderson, who founded Studio Science, um, he, you know, he became a partner or a founding partner um, with the High Alpha guys. And we actually had a design team embedded at High Alpha for the first three years of High Alpha. So all of the um, companies that came out of High Alpha um, Venture Studio were had uh, were impacted or had our um, unique design um, on those companies because they were our designers working on the product. Well, you know, you talked a little bit about Studio Science. I know some of our listeners are not here in Indiana, um, and you may be able to piece together some of what Studio Science does. But can you can you kind of walk through for our listeners that don't know about Studio Science um, exactly what they do and kind of their how they, uh, they're all the different arms that they're involved in. Yeah, so I mean, Studio Science um, is a design and innovation agency. Uh, you know, the the elevator pitches we design better um, brands, products, and services for companies by helping companies understand what their customers want. Um, in our um, experience, the only thing that truly differentiates uh, one company from another. Um, is the experience that that company provides to their customer. So by understanding the customer, we can then create a brand, a product or a service that meets and exceeds their expectation and differentiates them from their competitors. How we do that is we have uh, a few practice areas, but we have a research and strategy practice area that um, you know helps a company uh, find its uh, unique value proposition in the market by understanding customers' expectation, but also aligning uh, with key internal stakeholders as to what the vision of the company is. Uh, then, you know, once the strategy is established, uh, the brand team is responsible for 
um, brand positioning, messaging, uh, all of the visuals and everything that, that goes along with brand, uh, more than just brand, more than just aesthetics. And then we have a, a website team that um, you know, helps companies articulate what that message is via um, the company's most public-facing asset, which is the website. And then we also have a digital product team, um, which is responsible for uh, creating mobile apps um, and you know, dashboards, portals, um, UI, UX onboarding, and things like that. So, um, you know, we've got a we've got a hands in a few different pies. I think what you said, sorry, fingers in a few different pies. I think what you said, you know, we've got a few little different arms. Tactically, it's strategy, brand design, website design, and digital product design. But um, more importantly, and what provides more value to organizations is creating a unique experience for their customers that differentiates them from their competitors. And then you, you mentioned, I want to sort of go back real quick. That was a great recap um, for those that don't know about Studio Science. You mentioned that you came in really as the first AE. What was that experience like sort of breaking ground on being the first person to expand the product line outside of the, the, the founders and the initial team? Uh, it, it took me a minute. It took me four or five months, but I was licking my lips. I mean, this thing, this was a business that really didn't have any um, diligence or rigor around a sales process because for 16 years, um, Christian was the salesperson and the marketer of Studio Science. Um, he's a big, big personality, um, and he's a he's a, a expert networker. Um, you know, instantly kind of likable, and so he was just walking around town drumming up business at will without really. Um, I don't know if he really had any kind of structure around it. So when Christian left Studio Science to um, to do High Alpha, basically all of that marketing and thought leadership went from 54 Monument Circle where our office is to 55 Monument Circle where High Alpha office is. So whenever the IBJ needed a quote on what was happening in the tech scene, they were now referencing Christian Anderson from High Alpha, not Christian Anderson from Studio Science. And rightly so, he was working for High Alpha. So coming into um, Studio Science, was um, it was a blank slate. The company had a really good core group of foundational clients, um, such as Salesforce Marketing Cloud, um, but really hadn't applied any... Um, it was almost like a car that's rear tyres are spinning. All it needed was someone to apply some weight um, to, to the to the trunk to get a little bit of traction and off it went. So we've since I started, we've had an incredible run of growth um, for a 20-year-old agency to, to have the growth that we continue to have year over year. And even through COVID, we're up um, an extraordinary amount because our, our work is valuable to organisations. But it wasn't because I was in as the salesperson. Um, I'd like to tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm really good at it and things like that, but it was just creating a process and helping people within Studio Science understand that this is how we're going to build this business and we're going to build it um, through sales. And we have a very team-based sales environment where our subject matter experts that uh, the department heads um, are actively involved in sales. And so uh, as a group, it's, you know, coming in as the first salesperson, it was just a matter of, um, as I said, really applying some weight to the back of that car to get traction. Well, I know I know a lot of agencies sort of struggle to build the sales team. 
And I know you guys are hiring and I, and I sort of have two questions for you. Um, one is why do you think agencies struggle at, at scaling the server or scaling the business from a sales perspective? And then what kind of traits do you look for in that, in that role of an, of an AE? So I guess my opinion is, is, you know, I'll, I'll put my hand up and say my opinion is only my opinion. I can't speak for everybody, but I, I personally believe that um, software um, and software and it's intended to enable salespeople um, has hurt salespeople. Um, and I think the software industry and how, how you sell in the software industry has, has hurt people. So um, the more junior salespeople, or junior salespeople when they go into an organisation, they aren't being taught how to prospect business. Um, there is an expectation that the software or the company that they're working with um, will do all the heavy lifting for them. So the roles that I'm hiring for, I'm looking for someone with the ability to build their own book of business and understand um, how to prospect and create their own outreach plan. Uh, I think what's lost with the, the modern day SDR that works for, works for a software company is they're given lists and they're expected just to hit the phone. They've lost that, they've lost that ability to connect with people on a personal level. And then I think at the other end with the account executives, far too many of them um, have gone through the, the, I guess, the software industry where they're expected that the SDRs are going to do all the work and they're just coming in to close deals. Um, in a services firm, we can't turn the tap on and create more software licenses. I can't, you know, if, if, if I bring a million-dollar deal to the table tomorrow, um, I have to divide that by the hourly rate, and that's how many hours I need people to do. So I think Christian used to say we sell brains by the hour. Um, I, I need to hire more people. So you've got to be very careful how quickly you grow because you always have to make sure that you're staffing for it, um, whereas I think that the software sales, because they can just keep pumping out licenses, um, can scale much faster. So the need to or the desire to get more leads in the door um, is of greater importance, whereas for me, the relationship building is is of greater importance. Do, do you feel like on the software side, I mean, I do, that was one of the things that Kyle mentioned that you guys had talked about in the uh, kind of the pre-interview was the, the power of relationships. And I think relationships significantly matter. I think one of the challenges in the software space particularly is there's an overemphasis on um, ROI on everything and relationships are really challenging to, to develop an ROI. And a, and a good example would be early on in our business, we didn't have Salesforce integration and, um, we could very specifically tie the fact that we didn't have it to, to deals, but then there were all these other little features that over time, if we, as we've grown our business, um, we've added things like call recordings. And no one has ever called us. People would call us early on when we didn't have Salesforce integration and say, I'm not buying your product because you don't have this. But the little features like when we added call recordings, nobody ever didn't buy our product because we didn't have call recordings. But we also could never quantify that. We could never say, hey, somebody didn't do this. It was sort of this loose feature. And we knew that it had an impact because when we added it to the product, the company grew, but we couldn't really attach a specific event to that. And that's what, how I think about relationships is relationships in a software business. People want to say, show me the relationship and then show me the money. And relationships just don't work like that. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And um, my, I mean, I, I guess to a fault, I treat every interaction that I have equally, um, even though um, they're potentially maybe not qualified opportunities at the time. But if but if you do treat every opportunity equally, you may not get the deal immediately. But eventually, if you've done your job right and you've built the relationship, you will get that opportunity when it comes up. Sometimes it's a timing thing. You could have the best relationship in the world with someone, but if they've just relaunched their brand or relaunched their website, they're not going to redo it again just because they like you. But build the relationship and in 12 months' time, two years' time, if they need to redo it, um, you're front of mind. And, uh, you know, I've got, um, you know, without sharing client details, but... You know, we had relaunched a client website um, a couple of years ago. Just a matter of keeping a, a sound relationship with that person that when they spun off one of their, um, I guess, subsidiaries, they came straight to us. We weren't even in a competitive pitch. We just won the work. And not to say we didn't work hard for it as far as pricing and things like that, but um, to be able to go into to be able to go into any new business opportunity knowing that you're the only vendor that they're considering. Um, is, is validation that you've done your job right. Now, now, how do you look for as you're scaling, how many guys are on your sales team today? Uh, today, uh, it's a difficult one. Actual true salespeople, um, I am um, one of. Uh, I have an account executive that looks after um, one major account only. And then I am hiring for an account executive um, and potentially, no, I am hiring an account executive and a, a sales development representative. So there'll be four of us total. But I think, as I said previously, it's a real team-based selling environment. Um, and so once we get, you know, once an opportunity's in the door, um, it's not necessarily me that's always closing that deal. Um, sometimes it's the CX managers. Sometimes it's um, the department heads. Um, and, and we work together on it and we're all... Compensated and rewarded for for team results. Now, do you think commit? So that's an interesting um, kind of or thought there. How do you feel? Do you feel like commissions and how salespeople are paid in the software space um, is different, or it affects how people think about getting compensated in the service space? Yeah, I, th- I do think they're different um, because. Software sales is more transactional. I, f- I feel it's more transactional. Whereas professional services, I someone shouldn't not get a bonus just because they um, maybe hadn't had the results that they expected to have or they didn't actually close the business that they brought in the door. It was left to me or someone else to close. Um, just having an, having contribution to the pipeline is much more important for me um, than it is actual um, what what deal you can put your name against. And the reason why I say that is because I'm also aware that some people just don't gel with some people. You know, it's like horses for courses, right? If you can bring me a deal, and I've done it myself, where I've, I've took myself out of the deal because for some reason there just wasn't that connection or there was someone internal that was probably more suited to handle the negotiation on the deal than it, than it was me. Um, not to say that I didn't play my part by bringing it in. Um, and so I think with the with the way that the software guys, and, and I'm not an expert on this, but 
it's a numbers game and sometimes the numbers actually don't translate to long-term partnerships and things like that. Yeah. I, I, you know, we had a, um, so we're going through some, some internal kind of client discussions and we had a client yesterday who we talked with and the guy that sold the account um, did a phenomenal job, but this individual was very reserved and in my interaction with him, it became very apparent that I could not have sold to this person because he was my energy would 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 sort of be deflective of um, him accomplishing what he wanted to accomplish. But the guy that sold to him was very natural, understandably natural that they had a great relationship. And so I think that's a key. I think that's a key point is whether you're selling software or service. There's some personalities that just are going to fit better with other people on your sales team. And, and there's also the personality that can really understand, um, you know, read a room or read a situation, know when to push, know when to back off, know when to revisit, um, you know, really keep a keep a finger on the pulse of what's happening. Um, and I, I think that's, I don't know if it's something that can be taught, but I think with young salespeople, they're, sometimes they're so, aggressive isn't the right word, they're so enthusiastic that, every deal needs to close tomorrow. And it's sometimes hard to teach them that, you know, you're going to have to give this person a little bit of time to marinate um, because they're just not quite ready. Right. Well, and I think it's difficult. So you brought up a really good point, which is probably things that you look for in a salesperson. No one to push, no one to pull. I, I know one of the challenges is when you come, I think you'll learn that over time. Um, as a salesperson, you start to be able to read a room and really understand, you know, the dynamics of the personalities that you're selling to. I do think there's a lot of damage in the software space and early software uh, or just salespeople in general, whether it's software or service, is that um, certain sales, certain organizations will run them through maybe a Sandler or um, kind of a high end training program. And when when they come out and, and sell, you can tell that they're going through the motions and that they don't understand what they're actually doing. So they're doing all the things the coach tells them to do, but it's almost like my kids, when I tell them to, to do certain things, there's a difference between doing it and then knowing why you're doing it. And um, early, you know, I, I think that's a real mishap that sales teams make is not helping their salespeople understand um, why they're doing what they're doing what they're doing. And I think empathy is really important in the sales cycle um, in, in understanding the personalities of the people that you're selling to. And it can be very misguided if you, if you don't understand those things. Yeah. I think empathy is a good word because you need to take the time to understand what the customer's pain point is. And I think people uh, jump straight into trying to sell the solution without actually listening. And you're right, they're going through, it's, it's almost like a script. And, um, well, you know, kind of a script or a process. The amount of times that I get the call, a call from the same person three weeks in a row who's forgotten that they've called me the week before. Now, I, I like to learn a lot about my prospects before I call them, but Surely, if you're calling a guy in Indiana with an Australian accent, you would remember that. And it's, you know, the frustrating to have the conversation. We spoke last week, remember? And it's, you know, like, do you, you got to do your work. Someone once told me, you sell yourself first, you sell the company that you're representing second, and you sell the product third. Because if you've sold yourself effectively, 
if you've taken the time to understand what their needs are and they like you because you're a listener, then you sell your company. If they like the company, by the time you get to the product, um, it pretty much starts to sell itself. Whereas all my interactions with software people is they jump straight into the solution. What if I don't have that need for that solution? That's, you know, that's where they fall over. What was a piece of advice that you got early on um, that really helped evolve this kind of reinforce this relationship approach that you have? Yeah, I think that the, I mentioned it earlier, that is you sell yourself first, your company second, and, and eventually the product or service that you're selling should sell itself if you've done steps one and two correct. Um, the other thing that I got, and this ties back into my um, every salesperson needs to understand how to um, do business development. My very first boss who was, yeah, still to this day, I think I learned more from him in my first two years in sales than I have in my, my next 15 um, he always encouraged us to build a book of business within the company. So almost have a company within the company um, that you need to, if, this, if, if that book of business was your actual business, how intimately do you need to know these clients? You know, when, you know, how intimately do you need to know their spending patterns or their buying patterns or their decision-making pro, uh, process and things like that? And then so what I, what I was able to do there was understand that the, um, that the dollar amount of business that I had um, within that organization, uh, at the time I probably didn't truly understand it, but I did what he said and I, and I worked very hard at it. And people saw that. And when I left to do um, to pursue another opportunity, literally the day after I left, competing um, companies were calling, basically saying, what's your next step? Knowing that I had X amount, you know, I had a book of business that would not transfer that would not stay with the company, they would stay with me. And I think that's a strong, you know, particularly on the service side. I mean, you're selling services, you are selling, they are buying you. They're buying trust. And I think that's one of the challenges that if, if you've been selling software and you try to go to a service space, it can be very difficult to sell services because you're not pointing to a thing. You're, very, you're pointing to yourself. You're saying, hey, you've got to, You've got to know me. You got to trust me. You're buying me, and I think that that can be very difficult for some personalities. It, it's it's not an easy sell, um, but once you've got your head around it, um, and once you and and I think once you understand that, uh, and once you understand, it's not only you, you're buying the person, but you you're also buying the experience. So if you were to, I mean, if you're looking at it's like what we do for our for our um, clients. There are lots of design and innovation agencies out there, like Studio Science, that do very good work. Uh, without question, there are some really really good agencies out there, and I, I won't shy away from that. But when you're selecting an agency, look at the people that you're um, potentially going to be in a long term engagement with. And what is the experience that they're going to provide for you? Now, at the end of the day, the work might be great um, or the work might be good and you're going to be happy with it. But what is it? But how has the six months been mentally for you? How's the relationship been that got you to the end? And what I can say with my hand on my heart is that the experience that Studio Science provides for its clients um, is second to none. The work is obviously exceptional. Um, and I'll promote the professionalism and our craft um, all day long. But in addition to that, the experience that a client um, receives working with Studio Science 
um, is second to none. And, and that ties back to you're buying people, you're not buying a, a, a thing, you're not buying a material object oftentimes. Well, I, look, I, Chris, I could talk to you for hours. This has been a great, this has been a great conversation. I think we're getting yeah. close to the, to the end here. Is there anything specific um, that, that you want to talk about or anything specific you wanted me to ask that I didn't get to? No, I think, I mean, the conversation, you know, again, I guess back to the start, these are only my opinion. Um, you know, the relationship selling is a little bit harder to measure, uh, but certainly I'm making sure, you know, diligently making sure that any opportunity that comes into our pipeline um, has the appropriate attribution, whether that's a conference or whether it's an existing customer. We literally know where everyone's coming from and, um, you know, we've shaped, you know, up until this point, we've shaped our, our strategy, our business development strategy around um, human interaction and we're very good at that. Um but I think, you know, the fundamental difference is, you know, good salespeople, whether they're selling software or whether they're selling services, should understand that, you know, building the relationship is absolute key to being a successful salesperson. I want to thank Chris Belly again for being a part of the conversation this afternoon. If you want to learn more about Chris, you can go to www.studioscience.com. And as always, if you want to hear more, of our content, you can go to monsterconnect.com forward slash podcast. It's been a great week and we look forward to another great week. And remember, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can. Yeah.